0: Welcome to Poppyland Songs, hashtag Life on a Cliff Edge, written and produced by me, your host, Bertie. Poppyland Songs is supported using public funding through Arts Council. There in-air. upon the
1: cliffs you'll find
0: Poppyland, where it all began. Episode 4, The Curve Though of a Field. lived and died in Poppyland. Hello again, welcome back to Poppyland Songs, hashtag life on a cliff edge. So, as I've said before, if you haven't listened to episode one, two or three and want to know what this is all about, then I might suggest you have a listen back. You can find it on Poppyland Radio website or soon, hopefully, on my website, BertieBow.com. Or alternatively, if you're just interested in the songs and want to hear them, then the episode I did last time, which is called Interlude, um, is just the songs actually, so you can have a listen to that. In brief, I'm a musician and composer. I'm collecting stories, past, present and future, from this tiny part of the world known as Poppyland, which is where I grew up, and just moved back to just last year. The stories I've been gathering are the inspiration for a song cycle celebrating life on a cliff edge. I'm still seeking people who'd like to share their story with me, so if you want to get involved then please get in touch at poppylandsongs at gmail.com.
1: When the skies are weeping, when the soft rains fall. The flower lies sleeping.
0: field. The sense of being nearly home. For the first 11 years of my life, I lived in Sidestrand, North Norfolk. As you drive along the coast road out of Overstrand through what I always thought of as no man's land, the couple of metres between the signposts for Overstrand and Sidestrand, your eyes fall upon a view across an unusually shaped field. It's lilting camber dipping down away from the road and then rising up again to the cliff edge the line of trees standing guard around it this image is embedded in my subconscious etched upon my very soul as an adult when I see it I get a tug from deep within a primal sense of home home Do you have a place like this in Poppyland? A a favourite view? Something that brings something out of you, makes you feel something? I asked you this question in a questionnaire and here are some of the responses. Standing high on the lanes crossing the old railway line where you can see 360 degrees of the sea, hills and valleys. The old railway bridge behind my house in Trimmingham. Standing at the top of Madam's Lane where you can look out to see at Overstrand or turn around and look at Northreps. You can even see the wind farm, lighthouse and red arrows on Carnival Day. Standing on the Far East Beach in Cromer, early in the morning, sometimes 5am, watching the sunrise. From Happy Valley looking towards Cromer. Beast and Bump! It might not be very exciting for some people, but I have some lovely memories of walking up there. Cromer Pier. Happy Valleys Bandstand. Great place to play and see the sea. And another of my favourites, when you come over the top of the hill into Cromer and you can see the church and the sea beyond. Kip carefully collected and listed many field names from John Gray and also a man called John Payne. There were a great many more small fields, lawns, pitals and pieces back then compared to the large open fields we know now. Their names are quite wonderful and medieval sounding. She's categorised them by area and next to some of the names she adds further relevant information. It's within these careful lists I have been able to find the name of my undulating field on the cliff edge. In her list of field names from Sidestrand, which includes Pack Piece, Winding Six Acres and Padlocks, she goes into more detail on one particular field. Coney Borough, the ancient boundary of the manor of Sidestrand Pointings on the overstrand side. Okay, there's a fair amount to unpack there. It really shows how in-depth Kit's research of the area was and how far back she went. So let's start. Coney Borough means rabbit warren. Now, also, although Kit mostly spells sidestrand with the modern spelling that we know, in this case she gives it the medieval spelling sidestrand, S-Y-D-I, Strand. And it's followed by the word Poynings. It turns out that Poynings is the name of the family who were enfeefed of Sidestrand in 1269. <laughs> okay, I feel myself on the verge of falling into a rabbit warren myself. <laughs> 1269. That certainly makes my head spin. At this point, I've only been really going back as far as maybe 200 years. 1269, uh, I think that'll have to be maybe Series 8 of Poppyland songs. <laughs> My dad was the first to find beauty in these lists of names and he turned them into a poem which I then set to music. This is called Winding Fallant.
2: Bodrills and Pulsums, Stonehills and Corks, Bullock box Padlocks and Spong, Old Woman's Pegs Dyke by Sexton's Peace, and winding fallant.
1: Bodderons and Pulsums, Stone Hills and Corks, Bullet Bogs, Padlocks and Spawn, Bald women's Pegs die by Sexton's Peasts, and Winding Fallant.
0: We know that the field layout has changed, but how much of the rest of the land has changed over the years? We know we've lost land to the sea and continue to do so. From Kit's journal, John Payne remembers ploughing a large stretch of field on the seaside of the church. He says that he often heard Ben Cully say that he remembered beautiful lawns beyond that, where he minded cattle as a boy. They ran right on towards the sea, and the field went downhill. What more do we know about the natural history of the area? Let's bring my dad back to the conversation, Eddie Anderson. Besides being a font of knowledge of the social history of poppyland, he is also a keen and very active amateur naturalist, intent upon protecting and improving our natural habitats.
2: The social history of Cromer is richly recorded in writing, painting and photographs, but by comparison the natural history of the town was seldom noted down beyond the vulnerable location. From the earliest records of the original settlement of Shipton Juxta Mare, washed away by the waves nearly 700 years ago, every visitor refers to the encroaching North Sea. In 1600, Sir Henry Spellman wrote... Now returning to the shore, I pass over Cromer, a market town that has suffered Neptune's violence. And 80 years later, Daniel Defoe visited Cromer on his tour through the whole island of Great Britain. But he wasn't over-impressed by what he found. Cromer is a market town close to the shore of this dangerous coast. I know nothing it's famous for except good lobsters.
0: The story of the demise of the town of Shipton, Juxtamare, is intriguing, compelling. Our own little Atlantis, just 500 metres from the end of the pier. The town was mentioned in the Domesday Book nearly a thousand years ago, with 117 villages, meadows, woodland, and a church, St Peter's. It is recorded that in the 1300s there was a rise in the North Sea level by quite a few feet, This impacted our coastline dramatically. The actual shape of the coast is not fully understood, but it is suspected that there was no cliff at Shipton, more a gradual hill down to the sea. Shipton and its church was lost to Neptune's violence sometime in the 14th century, but the church tower remained for hundreds of years, known locally as Church Rock. At low tides, it was partially visible and, according to legend... On particular stormy nights, you could hear the church bells ringing. I think there has to be a song in there somewhere. In 1888, a pleasure steamer got skewered on the tower and as a result it was decided that it was too dangerous and it should be destroyed and it was done so with dynamite. Let's go even further back and talk about the coastline here and what is known as the Cromer Ridge. The Cromer Ridge is a tract of high ground running from Trimmingham to Holt. It was formed about 430,000 years ago during the Anglian glaciation. It marks the very edge of multiple enormous ice sheets Timing and our origin is apparently still being debated, but you can see the makeup of the ridge itself with your very own eyes at the beach between Chrome and Trimingham, because Poppyland sits upon this ridge at its most northern point, and due to marine erosion, the cliffs give us a window into this ancient past. Made up of layers upon layers of mud, sand, gravel, clay, and in particular in side strand, slabs of chalk bedrock. When groundwater soaks through the many permeable layers, it eventually hits the impermeable clay. The soaked upper layers may then simply slide off the clay, taking the cliff top and any buildings or possible church towers with it. If you look on a map that shows where the ridge lies, which you can find on norfolkcoastaonb.org, you can see that my undulating field, Coney Borough at Sidestrand, sits right on that ridge as it curves round the sea. So, presumably, that shape that affects me so much is due to ice grinding to a halt over 400,000 years ago. An idea I find vast and dizzying, yet beautiful and perfect in its own way. Speaking of water... Another thing I grew up knowing fairly intimately was a stream that ran through my grandparents' land at Templewood in Northreps. A babbling brook that ran through the trees, briefly emerging for a few metres with a perfectly placed bridge to play poo sticks from, before rushing back into the woods. Further downstream it would widen into a beautiful woodland lake, before exploding out of a weir back into the woods, and as far as I was concerned back then, to... Who knows where? It never crossed my mind where it went beyond the woods. In fact, I never wondered where it came from or if, in fact, it had a name. So I was mighty surprised to find out it was, in fact, a river with a name, or several names, actually, known as the Mighty Mun or the Beck or Munsley Beck.
2: So the Mun Beck, or as I like to call it, the Mighty Mun River, uh, starts in the parish of Northreps, and it goes for nearly six miles and into the sea at Mundersley. So, the mighty Mun, she flows to the sea at Mundersley. Now, what's interesting about it is that it is a chalk stream, technically, because the water has bubbled up through the gravels and so on from the chalk that is underneath. And that makes it really rather special, because the water quality the natural water quality is, is really rather good. So when it starts out in Northrop's, it's really quite a small trickle. And then it grows and grows as it follows the valley. And the reason that I call it a river is because it's in its own floodplain, and it, it isn't a tributary, and it goes into the sea. So it's exactly the same as the mighty Mississippi, or the Thames, or the River Severn, but on a very, very small scale. Now one of the things that uh, it denotes how important the water was is that it goes through six different parishes and it forms the boundary of some of them. So it goes Northrop, Southrop, Sidestrand and then there's Trimingham, Gimmingham and then there's Munsley and there's even a bit of Trunch.
0: There was a time not that long ago when clean fresh water was extremely valuable and There wasn't much of it around here, so this tiny river was indeed mighty important to those who lived here.
2: When the Norfolk Rivers Trust came to look at the water quality and discovered that it was not very good, thanks to some sewage treatment works along the way, they held an open meeting in Munsley to find out what people would think about improving the water quality. And not surprisingly, everybody thought this was a really cracking good idea. And one person came along with a poem written by a shepherd. The poem is very beautiful because it describes the value of the river to people, but in the voice of the river itself. It really is the most charming and very knowledgeable and understanding recognition of the value of the water.
1: why I was sent And men and women too offend who takes a prize, oh yeah But now no longer I must stay And talk the precious time away Forever duty to fulfil And so must hasten to the mill For there I turn a ponderous wheel And grind the precious grain to me I run along the and cell And lose the light I love so well But soon my liberty I find And leave this horrid place behind And so as far as some can see, I never more shall be set free, but lo, I'm drawn again on high, and float in clouds along the Soon descend in drops of rain to refresh the thirsty plain, and thus a witness I would be of Him who still sustaineth me.
0: That was Lines on the Beck. The poet was Tom Thurlow, a local shepherd, and we believe he wrote it sometime in the late 1800s. However, nobody took note of who handed over this poem at that Rivers Trust meeting. So if you have any knowledge on this poem, or perhaps Tom Thurlow, then please get in touch. songs at gmail.com
2: The... Norfolk Rivers Trust decided that there was a way to improve the water quality and we as a family allowed them to use a small flat meadow that didn't really have any other purpose and in it they dug three linking lagoons, very shallow and everything that comes out of the local sewage treatment works, having been partially treated, instead of going straight into the river it goes through the lagoons and the lagoons are filled with Natural plants, and the water, the water pace is slowed right down, and the plants effectively purify the water, and the reduction in the important chemical, which is phosphates, uh, phosphates make everything grow, uh, was quite considerable. With even within the first couple of years, a reduction of over ninety percent of the phosphates. When the Norfolk Rivers Trust set up this plan. Uh, it was, in fact, the very first in, in Britain um, to be operating on a sort of a, a village scale. It was quite a common practice to have these, these kind of w- uh, wetlands in Ireland, uh, but not in, in the rest of Britain. And uh, since then, since ours started seven years
0: That was Marley trying to get a word in.
2: And since then, the same technique is being used by water companies all over the place. So we're rather proud of that. And the wildlife is very, very grateful. In the various interglacials since the Anglian glaciation 450,000 years ago, extremes of climate created many ecological landscapes. But the biggest single effect on the townscape was not an ice age but the arrival of the railways in 1877 and the rapid building on land surrounding the small village.
0: Oh... Oh dear... Us humans... I think we're going to hear a downside to the Clement Scott story.
2: At least 90% of modern urban Cromer was either farmland or heathland less than 180 years ago. Cromer sits between some of Norfolk's wildlife areas. The broads to the south, the coastal marshes to the west and the last remnants of old heathland. All are recognised as vulnerable and special and therefore they're protected. And yet in Suffield Park was the last remnant of an ancient field hedge. A group of intertwined hawthorn bushes. I call them the Three Graces. They were chopped down in 2019 to ease the mechanical mowing of the road verge.
0: The slaying of the Three Graces. I've never heard a better title of a song or poem. Fancy writing it, anyone? So... What's to be done about it?
2: A couple of years ago, I and one or two other interested folk in the town decided to create an organisation which we call Chroma Green Spaces to protect these last few odd corners and gardens as well. Because in the gardens, there are very often seed banks which, if allowed to grow up, produce such plants as the bee orchid, which is actually quite common if only people wouldn't mow them all off. The thing about keeping wildflowers flowering is that the wildflowers feed the insects, the insects feed the birds, and so on, so that's the ecological structure, which is really, really important because the plants produce the pollen, and the pollen is really the, it's the honey, it's the food for the whole structure. What we're doing is the best hope for improving the biodiversity of chroma. There is really nothing of the previous wilderness remaining in Cromer, except perhaps the Warren Woods, the golf course, and the former practice ground, now rewilded and overgrown with brambles to the east, and the heath like Runton Gap to the west. A few older trees and many garden hedges survive, largely due to the townsfolk's proud passion for gardening. It is the private and public gardens that combine to make up the largest part of the town's green spaces. Chroma in Bloom is the voluntary group ensuring the town's public areas are beautifully flowered during the summer months. And roadside verges throughout the town still contain remnant seed banks of previously rich native wildflowers in the soil and can be vastly improved for nature by knowledgeable management rather than regular, close mowing.
0: Today there is a greater sense of urgency and interest in nature. The discovery of the Cromer Shoal Chalk Reef that holds a fragile ecology largely unrecognised until recent surveys revealed a wealth of submarine life. There are few mammals in the town. Most frequently you can see grey squirrels and sometimes muntjac deer. Amphibians and reptiles are scarce.
2: The cliffs either side of the town continue the natural geological process of erosion, where some unusual plants like the parasitic broomrape survive the shifting soils, while fulmers and sand martins nest on the north facing cliffs, when left undisturbed, that is. The science of ornithology continues its long tradition, particularly recording the migrants passing through, such as the long-eared owl, ringed in Finland, found sleeping on the pavement in 2018.
0: Now, this is quite the story. It was actually my sister, Evie Anderson, who found this owl just on the pavement outside her house.
2: Evie picked up the sleeping owl, thought it was dying or injured, took it into the house, and it immediately woke up. The only reason it was asleep is because it had spent all night flying across the North Sea in very, very stormy weather. It was very tired. So it flew around her house, knocked pictures off the wall, and she called me and we put it in a box and then we found the ring on it. And I contacted the the ringer in Finland and he said, ah, I know this bird very well because I have photographed it already. And it is the one Thousandth long-eared owl that he had ever ringed, and very few of them are ever found again. And so he and I had a special relationship based on this one owl. And
0: what, uh, ha- what happened to the owl?
2: Well, I checked the owl over uh, with a, a, a keen birder friend of mine, and we photographed it. And it was in good health; it wasn't thin, feather perfect, and very, very angry with very, very sharp talons. And so we let it go into the woods at Templewood and we watched it fly around for several minutes. And then I thought, I'll never see that bird again. And half an hour later, we heard an awful lot of noise in another part of the wood. Crows had found the owl and were giving it a bad time. And so we were able to photograph it one more time before it flew off. Really very exciting and very rewarding.
0: My dad is full of stories like this one. In particular, the family legend of the time he was lying in a field making barn owl calls and a local owl took him for another bird, or at least an enemy, and flew at his face. My dad, with the deft skills of a martial artist, in a split second reached up and grabbed the bird, pushing it away to fend off its attack. It's all true. If you'd like to hear more of my dad's stories, every so often he does do a tour of the River Munn, which you can go on and you can hear all of his stories there. Anyway, let's get back to Dad
2: and his birds. A year later, peregrine falcons nested on the church, creating enormous enthusiasm from thousands of visitors. An extension of bird-watching is the organised Sea Watch, when observers record passing seals and cetaceans, whales and dolphins.
0: If you want to know more about what you can do to help our local nature or perhaps you've been wondering about the reasons behind why there are now areas that are not being regularly mown, then check out Chroma Green Spaces. Their website is www.chromagreenspaces.wordpress.com or you can find them on Facebook if you search Chroma Green Spaces. They have an annual Best Wildlife Garden competition, which is open now. Entrances must be in by June the 30th. It doesn't matter how big or tiny your space is. Really, it's about becoming involved and being part of the solution. It's also a wonderful thing to get kids involved with. Head over to their website or Facebook page for more details.
2: Uh, we're always looking for more people who might be interested in the town to support Cromer Green Spaces. There's always some work to do, a little bit of mowing here and there, which is done with scythes and uh, observation of plants growing in unusual corners. We've already found lots and lots of wildflowers in the last couple of years, which nobody had really noticed were in the town.
0: Come on, who doesn't want to wield a scythe? (laughs) Okay, thanks to my dad, Eddie Anderson. As I've said before, none of this would have happened without him and his endless amount of knowledge and support. <laughs> That's great. I is that it is. all? Borrels and stone
1: stonehills and cocks, bullet, box, padlocks and spawn. Old woman's pecks died by sextons peas, all to one.
0: I think we can all finally breathe a sigh of relief. The great glowing fields of rapeseed with its vibrant, dazzling blast of sunshine yellow against the blue skies and flowing green fields. We can declare that spring has sprung. Though winter still has her breath in the north-east winds. Combining farming with the tourism, we feel the seasons acutely here. The population drops dramatically and there is a sense of rest over the wintertime. Cafes and ice cream shops close their doors for a well-earned break. Everyone takes a deep breath. This is the way it has been for over a century and I suspect will continue, climate change and coastal erosion allowing. This next song I wrote as a homage to Mother Earth and the subtle beauty of winter. Midwinter Sun Fragile
1: And meek Midwinter Earth Frozen Asleep Dreaming of new Life conceiving Of growing But now Only resting In peace has passed midwinter nights drawing in fast snowflakes her wishes on earth gentle kisses reminisce this promise is a time
0: It was Midwinter, a song I wrote whilst walking along the clifftop with my beloved dog Woody, who we lost this week. He was with us for 13 years and we loved him so deeply. So whilst I record this episode, I, I have a sense of, I sense an emptiness at my side. He's buried now with the yellow primroses in Northrop's. I will be investigating the things that go bump in the night the house I grew up in was reportedly haunted with multiple sightings and what about Black Shuck or the ghost train or the ghostly goings on at the Belfry Centre, have you heard about those? do you have a ghost story to share? if so, please get in touch poppylandsongs at gmail.com or find me on social media under Bertie Bow or my website (laughs) bertiebow.com The end of today's show is a bit different. I want to leave on a tribute to Woody. He was such a wonder and was the beginning of my family. But he was also a dog about town, a busking dog, a festival dog, a mountain dog, a sea dog. He came everywhere with us for 13 years and touched so many other people's lives. He had not one, but two songs written about him. So I'm gonna leave you with his own very special theme tune performed by the Bogo Bells. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.